This week on Geek Explained, for a special Christmas edition of In December, I'm joined by Dallas of the Comics Collective to discuss the story of the man in the jolly red suit. The real story, that is. Join us as we put the Geek Explained spotlight on Grant Morrison and Dan Mora's Klaus. Welcome back to Geek Explained. I'm your host, Eric Kazana, and today's episode is part three of In December, our month-long series where we're dedicating the entire month of December to creator-owned comics. And also, Merry Christmas, everybody. As we are recording this, uh, it is just a few days before Christmas, so... I just want to wish everybody a Merry Christmas in the year of our Lord 2022, and I hope everybody's doing well. I hope everybody's having a great little holiday season here. Uh, But this episode is very special for me as well because I'm reuniting with good brother Dallas of the Comics Collective podcast to discuss a comic that I think is going to now become an annual tradition as we take a look at the seven-issue miniseries Klaus by Grant Morrison and Dan Mora. We also have of course this week's comics countdown where i'll chat you up about all the comics you should be picking up this week so make sure you stay tuned after the jump for that but for now let's ring in this christmas edition of in december by rolling right on into the main event the main course the entree if you will as we discuss klaus if happy lives a mile away a couple steps is on Once upon a time, and a place, there was a man. These days, everyone knows his name, but few could tell you who he really is, or how he got started. This is the greatest untold story of them all. Those were the opening words of a seven-issue miniseries that changed the way that I view Santa Claus. And as we are here in the Christmas edition of our inaugural In December event, we are going to be diving into the seven-issue Klaus miniseries, written by Grant Morrison, art by Dan Mora, and I am joined by the reason for the season himself, the only person who I felt comfortable bringing on for a Grant Morrison episode. It's Dallas of the Comics Collective. Dallas, welcome back! Thank you. Thank you. I thought I was just the Jeff Lemire correspondent, but I am happy to be here 
for a grant book. You are you are truly a man of many talents. Several several of which include talking about comic books. Listen, if you've got a white guy taking writing comics too seriously, I want to talk about it. <laughs> yeah, it's 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 funny. Uh, we have actually been on mic, not recording for about thirty five minutes. Dallas told me I've got a hard out at a certain point after we start recording i'm like yeah cool we'll get that going and then we proceeded because we haven't talked in forever to talk for a very long time before hitting the record button so i'm just i'm just as you do it's it's what happens when you have people on twin coasts away from each other who don't get to talk as often as they should and we're talking about klaus we're talking about the christmas season my friend we are. So all of you, all the American listeners of this, you are sandwiched between the two of us right now. On <laughs> right now, coast. physically, as you're listening. As you're listening, I want you to think, gosh, I'm an Eric and Dallas sandwich, and I'm here to listen to Klaus today. And you Sit know down what? with the storybook. <laughs> Open up that big hardcover that's coming from that Kickstarter any day now. and Any day. Pop over to your, to your closest bodega and grab yourself an Eric and Dallas special. Because we're going to talk about Christmas. Uh, We are recording this a little bit in advance, but when this is coming out, when you are uh, listening to this, if you are listening to this when it comes out, Christmas is this weekend. And who better to spotlight in the week of Christmas than Santa Claus himself? Now, I will say, Dallas, for this episode, I'd never read this book before. I'd heard about it. Dallas had been telling... Dallas and others have been telling me about it for years. And now that I pray at the altar of Dan Mora, I knew that this was the year that I finally got into it. Uh, you've you've been beating the drum for this for a while now, though. I have. I have. I am a little embarrassed right now. I was under the impression we were going to be talking about Netflix's animated movie, Klaus. Uh, that's going to uh, be next year. Oh, OK, OK. Um, so I might have to pause and read this comic real quick. okay yeah go, go, never... uh listener we're i'm gonna do like a hard cut and then um we're actually we're recording this uh, in december of 2021 so uh whenever this episode goes up um dallas will have read the uh the klaus comic by then so um i'll i'll try and make this as seamless as and we're back so we're here uh in a very short amount of time i promise you uh still in time for christmas 2021 but uh, yeah, what'd you think of the book? I mean, it, it was a little surreal, you know, reading this uh, without the ice caps here anymore. You know, there, snow was a pretty big part of this. Um, That's true. And, and and I'm sure like snow in New York, I'm sure you miss it now that it's just a wasteland yeah, it, out there. It used to be beautiful for sure. Um, but yeah, this this book, it brought a lot of warmth into my heart, Eric. The stony, cold, cynical heart <laughs> of mine. I love this book. I feel like this book is the synthesis of Grant Morrison's characters that they impacted the most in Batman 100%. and Superman. Yep. You take the on-the-ground antics of Batman and you infuse it with the ethos of Superman. And then you invite Dan Mora along for the ride to turn it into a dark fantasy and you get Klaus 
So if you've been a fan of Grant Morrison's Big Two work, I absolutely think that this is a beautiful segue for in December into Grant Morrison's creator-owned work. Totally agree. I think this is the way I tried to construct the books that we're covering this month is entry-level uh, creator-owned books for people who may not dive into creator-owned stuff as much as they maybe want to. I know for myself, like you can go back through the episodes in the archives of this podcast, and there aren't a lot of creator-owned episodes, and that's on me. But that's the whole reason that I wanted to do this month and hopefully make it like an annual tradition of spotlighting comics that aren't owned by Marvel and DC because there's so many out there. And I know you have been beating the drum for a very long time that indie comics are quite possibly the best comics in the industry right now. I think so. I think that there's an ownership to them that the creators feel, right? Obviously, creator-owned comics. But in the gig economy of comic books, I'm finding more and more that people are saving their best ideas for their own books. Yeah. And so when you look at someone like Grant Morrison, who had a stellar run on All-Star Superman, what I think is the best Superman book of all time, and then had what to me felt like a very strong but hampered attempt with a book like Action Comics, where you can feel the constraints on Grant writing Superman. You can feel those reins being pulled back. It feels very cathartic then to turn to that next evolution of this character with Klaus. Yes, there is not a big S on the front of this book, but I guarantee you Superman is in this book and he's here to save Christmas. So it just, it feels really liberating. It feels fun. And I think it specifically feels accessible in a way a lot of Grant Morrison books don't. True. (laughs) (laughs) And I love the premise of this month being indie comics you can check out as a gateway. I love that this is the one we picked for Grant. Because, yeah, yeah, there are some great, trippy, crazy Grant Morrison (laughs) creator-owned books. But, like, you will get lost in the weeds without some help. So this is the book to go to. For sure. And I think with this being, you know, serendipitous that the month that we're talking about, uh, talking about creator owned books also being the month of Christmas, like it's it's the recipe for perfect content. And as as it pains me to say that word, um, it's it's just the right it's the right call. And I wanted to talk about this book and I wanted to talk about this book with you because you have been. I think in my in my circle, in my life, the biggest Grant Morrison fan that I've met and being able to talk about this story, not just in the confines of it being a creator owned book, not just in the confines of it being a book about Santa Claus and Christmas, but being specifically, like you said, one of Grant Morrison's best ideas of taking, hey, how about we take the Superman and we take the Santa Claus and we put them together and we get Klaus it's genius. I'd never thought of it as an idea. And by the way, as, as a quick aside, go watch Klaus on Netflix. It's incredible. It's I cried. so good. Um, it's so good. Every year. I watch it every single it's year. So good. Yeah. It's like, it's that uh, comfort and joy, the episode from uh, Justice League Unlimited. And then um, I try to check out the Charlie Brown Christmas special every single <sighs> year. Those are kind of my three. But yeah, it's 
it's wonderful getting into this. And we'll be talking about just the initial seven issue miniseries for this episode. But if you want this to be an annual thing, and maybe we talk about Klaus every year, you let me know. You let you you let me know geek, at Geeksplain Pod because I mean I wouldn't mind having a pretty solid slot in there for Dallas every single year. Who knows? Who knows? I mean, I'm I'm gonna soft pitch it to you here. Uh, this is very Batman Superman. There is a lot of Doctor Who in the next ones. Oh my god! I know Doctor- you're a big Doctor oh Who fan. Ugh. So Grant Morrison, huge Doctor Who fan, and the re- only real outlet they've had so far for that are Klaus comics. So oh, that's man. what I. That's what I got for you. And they're one of the issues. I'm not going to spoil which one makes me cry more than any other piece of media ever. All Every right, so time I read it, I'm just done. If you want to hear uh, Dallas and I cry on Mike on a podcast, I mean, let me know if you want us to talk more Klaus. But yeah, this story is incredible. And not for nothing, we've we've gushed a lot about Dan, about uh, Grant Morrison. We should give a spotlight too to Dan Mora because Dan Mora is maybe the best artist in comics right now, killing literally everything he touches. And having him on this book, you can tell that his style has evolved since this book came out, but not by much. Like it's still, he is at the height of his power, I think, in the comics that he's currently putting out. But this is still, it's so ethereal and at the same time again grounded in a lot of the um a lot of the archetypes and a lot of the superman isms that make him such a great superman artist like dan Moore's superman is just it's incredible he's one of the artists that i will now always look towards especially in modern adaptations of the character and having i mean you have a man roll up in a red cape and a blue suit to a town in need like it's an easy jump to make, but Dan Moore's art here is spectacular. I mean, absolutely. Like you said, this was a pretty early project of Dan Mora's. And so you look at the most recent issues of Once in Future and compare it back to this, you can see a very clear spike in creative liberty and stylism. You can see when Mora figured out what he wanted to look like and leaned into it. But the bones are so clearly here. This is such a talented artist that's at the precipice of becoming, like you said, arguably the strongest talent working in comics. And again, not to just keep tooting the extra Klaus episodes horn, but it's fun to see different mediums across the series. So this feels like very traditional. It's definitely the most, storytelling traditional and so therefore as most traditional artwork like there's a whole watercolored issue that is stunning there you get to see like this is current dan mora all of a sudden Mm -hmm. and it's just a lot of fun to track his progression as an artist over this series but like you said the strengths of dan mora are immediately there you turn the page to see that krampus for the first time and you're like there's Buddy. the best monster designer since Jack Kirby. Oh, there he is. Ain't that just the truth? That Krampus design. Because I, reading this for the first time, like you get the feeling that it might be something like that. But you don't, you aren't prepared for it until you actually see this thing looming over everybody going, children. Like, 
chills absolute chills i made the mistake of reading that specific issue right before i went to bed and that was not a fun night for eric let me tell you (laughs) that was not a fun night of dreaming for your boy i i had so much more appreciation reading this for this is the third time that i've read this now and seeing and knowing what's going on not just be like swept away in the story like this does do this is a comic that all of a sudden you'll be like i read the whole thing oops time to (laughs) read it again (laughs) and reading it a little bit more slowly a little more deliberately it was really fun to see just like how lovecraftian krampus felt 100 this time the like the deep darkness that's underneath the town that's been slowly sapped of all of its life this person makes a deal with an entity beyond himself like this has H.P. Lovecraft all over it in a way that I adore. Totally agree. It's it's an eldritch horror that wants to eat children. Like having, I mean, just the moment that it walks out and it's got its little sack over its shoulder where it stuffs children into, like that's the stuff of nightmares. And I can attest to this personally. And hmm. having this be kind of your big bad, it's again, a very... It's a very uh, Superman-esque threat, right? You look at this thing and it's like, yeah, that looks like something Superman can punch. And having that be not just a physical threat in how large and how looming and how powerful it is. I mean, watching it just melt people with its fire breath is horrifying. But like getting the lead up to it where it's corrupting people where it's made a deal not unlike in the uh in i don't remember which doctor who christmas special was but it's like the uh the great intelligence possesses um this kid and fills him with all of this uh uh promises of like get giving him power and it ends up being hugh grant when he grows older and it's like it's delightful like you said, the the Doctor, and I didn't even make that connection until you brought it up, but the Doctor Whoisms are very much there. But having this thing that like corrupts and like you have the men in the town being forced to work in this coal mine because coal in Christmas, don't you see? And having them slowly being driven mad by it and anyone who shows any kind of semblance of like joy or wanting to rebel is accused of being mad is, it's... It's strangely relevant while also being timeless. It's this idea of like people having free will or finding joy in anything suddenly being the outliers. And it speaks to an indoctrinization and a radicalization of negativity. Yeah. I think what's so interesting about this book is that it's, a storybook and it makes that so clear from the first page that you read. I'm so glad that you read that because I I was going to quote that page as well. I love like from a time, a place like, okay, this could take place anywhere, anytime. This is for everybody. Yeah. This is a storybook about how a man became a story and therefore a man became an idea. You see that over the course of these seven issues, Krampus is introduced as an idea as just this entity that permeates this town and makes the people around him worse. And our hero's journey in this is going from a good man to an opposite but equally powerful ideal that 
inspires the people around him to be good. And 100%. I think that's that's an incredible journey to see someone go on that again, it's it's very Superman. I think yeah. what Grant taps into with Superman is the fact that Superman's effect on the world is very interesting. The fact that Superman is both a man and an ideal. And so to have a year one style origin <laughs> of that over the course of seven issues is incredible and incredibly stirring because it makes you want to be more like that makes you want to say like, how do I push the world more positively? Like this book inspires. Yeah. Just like, I mean, all-star or any really good Superman story, it's aspirational immediately. Like you want to be able to commit yourself to good after reading a book like this. And I like what you said about it being like, it could be anywhere. It's, it's like, um, we talked about uh, the first part of the series uh, with uh, Peter Cannon Thunderbolt. The story sets itself up as 35 minutes from now, anywhere, any place. And it's like, this is a story that could happen. This is a story that has happened. And if you want to talk on just kind of the meta level, it's a story that continues to happen. The whole uh, dichotomy of Klaus versus the Krampus is... Klaus can't really fight this thing while it's still an idea. He is run over several times in in a very Batman year one way where he is like beaten down more than once by the villains who are committed to an ideology. And it's not until these people see the source of that ideology for what it is that it can be defeated. And that's something that I think is a timeless idea and something that you can apply to, I don't know, maybe socio-political issues today. Who knows? But this story does a great job of weaving that alongside, like you said, a traditional hero story of someone coming back after being, you know, outcasted and tossed to the wolves, both literally and figuratively, and him finding the strength within himself to come back. Because the the whole backstory of Klaus in this, I had I was not prepared for. I just expected, you know, the first time you see him, he's just this red cloaked man coming in from the woods, and then you get the backstory of like, oh no, he was like a a captain of the guard. He was loyal to the uh, the original Baron here, and then he was framed and then cast out, and now he's been living, you know, for however many years. I think it's at least a couple decades just out in the wilderness with Lily, who is best girl, always. And seeing him find not just faith within himself, but being able to share that with people, he draws the rune for joy as kind of like his Zorro Z everywhere he goes. Like, this is the stuff that you cling to. This is the stuff that icons are made of it's a signifier you said there isn't a big red s on the uh on the cover and that's true but i feel like his idea is as strong as what that that diamond with the s in it represents i absolutely agree i think that this story becomes the most palpable though through the lens of the characters and like the queen and the little prince and the king and you get to see people's decision about the idea that klaus is because the conflict is not is klaus right or wrong like Mm -hmm. that's what the you would want from this kind of story traditionally but it's 
Klaus is clearly right. Will our deuteragonists choose his way? And how will that affect them? And I think ultimately, this is an incredibly hopeful book that people more often than not will choose good. And I think the triumphant defeat of Krampus to the cry, there are no bad children, is one of the best lines that Grant Morrison has written. And it speaks to the ideology behind this book, right? That inside all of us is a capacity for good. And there are no, I think there are very few bad people. I think there are people that make bad choices, but I think inside of us is the capacity for good. And that's some of the magic of the Christmas season is having such a tangible push to fan that flame, to be kind, to be good. And that's what Santa Claus is all about. And this season, when it's not looked through a cynical eye, can be. And I think the conversation this book has about that is interesting, where it opens with a little kid who can't fill the hole inside of him Mm -hmm. with things and toys. And no matter how much he is showered with materially, he can't feel it until his mom sits down to play with him and has a genuine kind moment. That moment broke my heart, that whole scene. Because you're absolutely right. The the idea of Klaus and what he represents is greater than any, you know, punch him up that he could have in the story. And when you set up the the little prince as this kid who isn't a bad kid, right? He's taught bad. He's the, the triumphant, like, there are no bad kids speaks to the idea that evil is not bred it's taught and this is as ringing an endorsement for that argument as i think you can find because that scene where he does finally like he gets this moment where klaus brings him a toy it is the most like super sentai looking (laughs) like figure that you could dress up in a mostly european style story and he's immediately just like i'm gonna squish him and i'm a giant and his mom who is a delightful character as well and a tragic character due to her circumstances is like well then the story would be over like and that's i think speaks to a lot of and and we're gonna get into the cynicism of this as well but like for me when it comes to a lot of the books that we've been kind of looking at in this month cynicism is a i think uh, a pretty good through line and specifically cynicism with comic books because i think there's a it's really easy to be like i am going to tell the end of the story and i'm going to you know do this so that no one else can touch this character ever again and Yes, that has turned into some incredible stories, but the gift of characters and the gift of, I mean, fiction in general is that you can keep telling stories and that you can build upon the foundation. And when the two of them, when mother and son are able to sit with each other and realize, oh yeah, like we don't have to be beholden to our circumstances, we can dare to dream big, that's when the Baron starts to realize that he's losing his grip on them. And he's a fascinating character as well. Like bringing in a, a, I don't want to call him the main antagonist because I do believe that's the Krampus, but he's like, he's very 
close secondary antagonist um, as someone who, again, was manipulated into doing evil things. He says, yes, I did those things. And eventually, at a certain point, influence can only take you so far. But the fact that he also had the capacity in him to be good and yet chose to be evil speaks a lot to these characters, the potential that there is in making the right choice and making the wrong choice. I think want to know something that will break you even more Do it. about the sign, the scene with the little boy and the mom. So also Superman was written after Grant's dad passed mm. and it was very much a rumination on the relationship of fathers and sons. Right. And this was what Grant wrote after their mom passed. Oh my God. Who they had a very different relationship with. Oh Lord. And so that little scene of a mom teaching a child how to tell stories and how stories can transform them and enliven them and bring light into their life is incredibly stirring to me. Woof. Um, Ooh. And it it makes me happy. We were going to cry about this another episode, but oh my God. It just makes me happy because, I mean, not to be too personal on Maine here, but uh, like I very much associate the Christmas season with my mom, who has a way of making everyone feel important, everyone feel special. And I find myself wanting to mirror her actions more and more in this holiday season, right? And so it's something that felt very personal to tie up your emotions about your mother and the love that you feel towards your mother and that you felt from her towards you into a Christmas story as an example of how to spread that elsewhere. Cause like, ultimately I just want to love people how my mom loves people. And I think Santa Claus has become a very interesting and fun token of that. That's beautiful. Genuinely. That's, Ooh. uh, yeah. And I, I think I, I feel the same way about Christmas. It kind of gives you that, I don't want to say excuse, but I'm going to say excuse. It gives you that excuse to like look at things with a kinder eye. I feel like I, cause anyone who has listened to this podcast for any length of time knows I'm a basic Christmas bitch. And like, <laughs> I love the feeling of people coming together for a common cause. And may, maybe that common cause is, Hey, let's come together and like help this guy move his couch. Or maybe the common cause is like, Hey, let's make the world a better place. And there is something magical about a character that kind of embodies that in Klaus. And in this story, watching the gradual change of people as they start to get on board with this idea of the Santa helping people and not expecting any kind of repayment for it is, I mean, it's, it's what we strive for right it's what we look for in our heroes and in our icons and watching the gradual change of people like carl carl the uh the captain of the guard watching his gradual change is fascinating even though he does end up being more or less kind of shunted to the side once he's tied up and set inside a trap house uh not that kind of trap house and (laughs) just watching people change and watching people grow like the, uh, the dad who uh, is constantly exhausted like we all are. And he finally finds it in himself to 
absolutely take it to the Krampus, regardless of his own safety, is inspiring. And that's what this comic does, I think, because it gives you an excuse to be inspired. And watching the gradual growth of these characters whether they grow for better or grow for worse because we do watch the baron also grow for worse making the absolute wrong decisions when he has the opportunity to make the right ones there is something magical watching good triumph against evil and then sail off into the night sky like the the ending which we will get to brought me brought a tear to my eye it was beautiful but i love stories where you watch people be good for for goodness sake uh it's 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 something that i love and something that touches me specifically and this book absolutely gives that up in spades absolutely it reminds me and this will be the third time that we've brought up 2019's animated masterpiece klaus yes it reminds me of the thesis statement of that movie that one truly selfless act always sparks another and I think while that movie is not an adaptation of this comic in any sort of way. Well, that would be wild. The, the fact that they get to the same message, essentially, that the heart of Christmas time is choosing to put others before yourself and not in like a self-sacrificial martyrdom kind of way. Because like that's a trap I can fall into as someone cool. with that very much a part of like my religious background was always Mm -hmm. like, you got to go up the street to shovel such and such as block. Even if you hate it, like that's what it means to be righteous. (laughs) But the actual selflessness of wanting to be kind and wanting to be good. And what I think is so interesting, Grant Morrison is someone who believes in magic and they recently on their Substack talked about their definition of magic was there's like life plus intent equals magic Mm, and i think that's the kind of magic that's on display in this book that klaus moves with good intent he doesn't just let life happen to him he is choosing to actively change the things around him with the intended consequence that this town will be brightened again and that's a kind of magic that you can bring into your life as well into the lives of those around you yeah and what i think sells that even more is the fact that klaus himself goes on a journey he's there's absolutely value in characters who have like static growth like they are a character that doesn't change but in fact change the world around them which you could read this as with klaus but klaus himself does go on a journey he starts the whole series as just a guy trying to peddle his wares he comes into this town that he's known before and when he is violently ousted he doesn't intend to do anything he's like that place is lost this sucks but like there's not there's not really anything we can do it's not our concern and then all it takes is a special duet with his his flute while lily howls to bring about these like ethereal like christmas spirits and when he wakes up having made far too many toys than i think a single person could make in one night but what would i know (laughs) it's christmas Um, magic eric 
you're right. It's Christmas magic, Christmas spirits. You're right. Seeing his response not be, wow, this was really fucking weird. I'm going to walk away from this. But instead him going, these toys need a home. And those homes need toys. And him choosing to do that. I love that it's born of a question, right? The I love the splash, the last splash page of issue one. Him looking yeah. down at those toys, saying, "What am I supposed to do now?" I think that's a question you can ask yourself. Like, if you have this desire for good, that's all it takes. You just have to ask yourself, "What am I supposed to do now?" And I genuinely believe that you will be shown places and people that you can lift around you. Yeah, and you might be surprised as to what that ends up being. Cause I'm sure that when Klaus was trying to bring those, those skins and those furs into uh, Grimsvig for the first time, he wasn't planning on starting a revolution, but like <laughs> that's what ended up happening because like a certain Mr. Ethan hunt, he is the embodiment of will. He decides I am going to bring joy to this place and I am not going to let anything stand in the, in the way of that. And that allows him to wage kind of this one-man war against negativity and against hate and against isolation. And as we see throughout the story, it ends up in beautiful sequences. Like, just looking at the beginning of the of the second issue, and I didn't catch this the first time, the one snowball that he throws at the top of this house and it rolls down until the two guards that see him are like, Oh man, we got to call the guard. And then that one snowball is turned into this giant snow boulder that just covers them. And it doesn't allow them to go ring the alarm. It's every sequence just like that tells that same thesis statement that Dallas was talking about, about it being one small act can snowball into something spectacular. And I know for me, I've I've watched a lot of Christmas stuff with snowball hijinks. I had never seen something like that before, especially off the, the comic book page. And you get to see how little things start to influence people, how people start to change. The dad that we talked about before, I think his name is uh, it's Gunner. He is immediately like put off when the toys are first revealed to him but as the story goes on he starts to believe he starts to realize my family deserves better hell i deserve better and that's what ultimately brings him to the point of defending these kids against the krampus and that moment where this kid who i'm sure has looked up to his dad before gets to shout to the other kids like because they're like oh my god is that the santa he's like no that's my dad like Oh, I'm going to get Terry out of talking about it right now. But just like seeing someone who you've known for your entire life in a completely new light, it's again, that kind of Christmas magic that wouldn't have come about without Klaus's intervention here. And you get to see that develop across the entire town. You get to see how people change, how people grow and start to not just realize the problems that are in the town, but also how to grow past them. Um, and it's magical. It, uh, we keep saying it, but it is truly a magical happening when you see characters who, like we mentioned with Carl, be the most like downtrodden, like I, you know, I've given up hope on this to suddenly being like, 
there is a possibility for change. Also, Carl is incredibly ACAB, and I respect that with for him. He's a, he's like, I joined the the guard because I wanted to change it from the inside, and all that's done has made me bitter. And there needs to be radical change in this for us to be able to move past this. And as much as people will hear that or listen to that and go, oh, keep her politics out of my comics, like, this is a universal message. This is a universal theme. You can't just institute change by being half okay with things that happen. Like, you have to make strides. You have to actively choose to change or else no change is going to happen. Yeah. I love that at the center of this book are small acts of radical defiance. Yes. Um, And each of those bits of defiance lean into very human moments that ultimately what Klaus does is he prioritizes people and their happiness. And I think that's at the core of a lot of the hurt that happens in the world. And a lot of the hurt that happens in particular in our country is the lack of importance placed on people and how everyone in that town is just as important as that King that's up on the Hill. Yep. But he's the one that gets all the toys, all the coal, all the food. And what Klaus comes in and says is that you're all important and I'm going to make you feel important. And I think that sentiment is an infectious one when it's fanned, you know? Absolutely. Um, returning a little bit to Dan Mora. Yes. I love the sequence that closes this book as Ooh. it mirrors the beginning So the narration, which is not from Dan Mora, but it says, Once upon a time and a place, there was a man, his name was Klaus, which means victory of the people. And once upon a time, we all lived happily. But that time is always now, and now outlives each one of us. And there's this brilliant sequence of Klaus dancing with his lady, and he never ages, even though she does. I was not prepared for this. <laughs> Listen, I just over on the Comics Collective, we just wrapped up Invincible. And cool. if you're a fan of this podcast, you love Invincible. Absolutely. Ours go is not as good, stuff. but go check Shut out ours. Shut up. They, but... they they just wrapped uh, a wonderful series on Invincible. Um if you liked what we did with the book club, um they got so much to talk about and it's it genuinely a great listen so go check that out for sure thank you um it always makes me laugh that eve has this moment where she like ages out and then it's like poof i'm magically hot again (laughs) and like that's how the book ends is like we're both gonna be hot forever forever wow (laughs) and this book does not do that (laughs) this book uh, oh boy she dies which again like i think clearly in the text of this story, this is a romantic relationship. This is that Definitely. kind of love. But I find it very interesting as something that's written about right after Grant's mom died, the idea of not feeling yourself age at the same rate that you're seeing someone you care at age, right? Yes. That there are these magic moments where 
they're dancing and they're having fun. And there's just this line at the end where she says, I think my dancing days are done, dear Klaus. What a life it's been. Please promise me you won't dance on alone. And I can't help but think that like young Klaus dancing with that old woman who tells him like, there's going to be life after this. Like that's, that's gotta be drawn from somewhere. hundred percent. It just, it makes me a little foggy eyed. Like I, you're telling me, man, I had no idea about that. Like that wrinkle to it. Now that I do, like, I can't wait to reread this with that in mind, because you're absolutely right. The idea of, this man never ages. He's constantly, you know, I mean, he grows out his hair and he grows out his big bushy beard. But like, other than that, he doesn't change. And we get to the point where this woman who he has loved for his, you know, most of his life ends up, you know, passing on before him. And I think anyone who has lost somebody whether it was a family member, a friend, someone you were close to, there is a period of time where you don't know how your life is supposed to go afterwards. Loss is a really terrible and heavy thing. And getting the, I guess getting the permission to continue on is something that I think is, I mean, you you can't put a price on it and not just getting permission from the person who has moved on, but giving yourself permission is, it feels like a mountainous climb, but when you get there, you get to see just how much good you can do. And it's after her passing in the story at the end, when he decides I'm going to roam the earth, and I don't know. It's 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 a magical scene. It really, really is. I have nothing that can follow that up adequately, so I'm going to drastically <laughs> shift the conversation. <laughs> um, I want to know, Mister Doctor Who fan, what you think of Santa's Tardis sleigh. I okay. Listen to this, okay? I to the fucking love this sleigh. All right, you get to see this a couple times in different shapes and forms. Like you see the classic version of the sleigh when he's initially like rescued as a little baby boy. Uh, It's the classic, like what you think of when you think of Santa's sleigh, right? The big uh, Coupe de Ville style sleigh being led. And you get, you know, the, the little wagon that uh, the small boy pulls him on back to his house when he's initially poisoned. But then you see this thing which I can only assume is what it looks like for all of the other chapters of the story. And I'm like, that is what you take with you. That is your, your fortress of solitude, your TARDIS that you take to every single house, every single, you know, land you go to every single adventure you go on. Um, And the fact that it's TARDIS blue. I mean, it's not unintentional. What more ask for? (laughs) And the fact that it's led by all the wolves, like, Visually, it's stunning. Absolutely. The character and just world designs from Dan Mora in this are brilliant and absolutely what carry the story. This is a very charming, wonderful story. But ultimately, it's it's a little sparse in 
like the writing style, which I think fits it perfectly. Mm -hmm. And it's not a story we haven't heard before. Right. And so what transforms it from very heartwarming and good to magical and something that I pull out multiple times a year, especially around Christmas, is the alchemy of Dan Mora and Grant Morrison coming together. I am sad it's been a few years since they've released a Klaus issue. We're not getting one this year. My fingers are still crossed for next year that we get another Klaus issue. Dan Mora is very busy. I don't know how he's keeping up with what he currently does. No way. Adding a Klaus annual seems crazy, but it's just a team that fires on all cylinders and plays to each other's strengths. I love that Grant Morrison realizes the talent that's on display from Dan Mora and does not cover these pages in a lot of words. Right. And lets them sing for themselves. I love that Dan Mora has such an eye for dynamic action and where, where to position the proverbial camera and how to let it hold for an emotional moment. I think of that last page of Santa going off in his sleigh and it's perfect. There are multiple pages in this book that are just perfect at capturing the emotion that it's supposed to, that the words are just there to fan the image that is carrying that emotion. Totally agree. Like that, that last image of him, you know, sailing off into the night gives me like hardcore Christopher Reeve, like flying above the earth, giving the wink and then flying past the camera. Like, the adventure continues as it always does. And I love that. Also, uh, you touched on it earlier, but character design has always been a strength with Dan Mora. Look no further than the God tier uh, character designs. He's recently given the teen Titans in world's finest yep. uh, slickest designs they've ever had period. And the first reveal of uh, Klaus in his old captain's garb, when he's when he like socks that one guy in the mine and we see him like with the hood up and the sack over his shoulder like that's iconic that is a superhero reveal with the super suit for the first time he gets another design he has this design for a while and then he gets there comes a story where he gets the white beard and he gets a new design Ooh. as like grandpa santa and <gasps> it's very good I'm excited. And that one has the world serpent and the other Norse gods. What? Okay. I'm just going to leave that. He keeps dropping hints. Again, if you, if you want us to cover Klaus uh, again for Christmas next year and beyond, let me know. But yeah, I think the, like you said, the visual uh, language that Dan Mora has, not just in designs and not just in framing, but in choreography. Like all the action scenes sing. They are incredible to read through. Everything is such a kinetic energy. The framing and the placement of everyone is really well done. You always know where everyone is at any given time in a scene. And it makes for what I like to think is a good, is a mark of a good comic, incredible page turn reveals getting stuff like that view of the Krampus for the first time, getting stuff like the, uh, the spirits possessing Klaus for the first time. Like it's magical. And we keep using that word, but it feels like you said, this perfect alchemy between the talents of Grant Morrison and the immense talents of Dan Mora. 
and for the two of them to work so well together because there are i think plenty of uh instances of two comics greats just not singing well together this is not one of those instances this is where you get to see two people who are firing on all cylinders telling a story that yes maybe we've heard before but it's a story that you can't really compare anything to like there's no story that has santa claus drawn by you know having a tardis like sleigh drawn by wolves to fight the krampus like there's there's never been a story like that before and to have that be this story that's also giving you incredible action giving you wonderful character designs that's also telling you a story of the capacity for good with inside people like what a perfect what a perfect storm of incredible storytelling that this is. And I keep going back to, like you mentioned earlier, the there are no bad children, you know, proclamation that Klaus gives before he takes out the, uh, the Krampus and one of the most satisfying beheadings I've ever seen in a comic book, just him slicing the head off and it just shouting, ho, ho, ho. I mean, iconic, iconic. Like what? How? I ask you how it is immensely well-told storytelling and it does provide this wonderful, like you mentioned before, this wonderful year one for what we can expect are a, a smattering of lifetimes of adventures. I mean, I can assure you there are a lot of lifetimes. <laughs> there are a lot of lifetimes and there are a lot of good. There, there's this advent calendar issue that is incredible. And it's the most Doctor who one of them okay. all. I haven't seen a ton of Doctor Who. I've seen a little bit. But I, I feel like I understand the tone. And that yes. is absolutely the like, oh, this is the one about the companion. Okay. Yeah. <laughs> yes. Um, I want to touch again on Dan Mora. I was, if you heard a little bang in the background, that was my book falling as I was making sure that... <laughs> Dan Mora did the colors on this, which he did. And how the use of brightness in the colors is very interesting. Yeah. Because at first while I was reading this, I was like, this is a pretty muted color palette. But then I realized it's only muted when we're in this town. Yep. When we're outside of this town, it's very bright and fun. And then the second that Krampus gets killed, those last five pages are immediately bright again. Bright as, yeah. The, the light comes back. And I thought that was a very neat trick. I think that coloring is something that goes unsung largely in comic books. And that the coloring in this book specifically tells you exactly how you're supposed to feel. And it makes you feel that way. Like Dan Mora grabs you by the collar and it's like, you're going to feel somber. You're going to feel excited. You're going to feel like kind of trippy and magical and Christmas spirity. And all of that through color. The line work is stunning, but I think the colors set the mood in this book. Definitely. And like the, like you mentioned, the etherealness of the Christmas spirits being this trippy, like acid induced, like maybe these things are real. Maybe they're not. Who knows? And listen, like... sometimes Grant can't help themselves. <laughs> Even in the simplest comic, they have to be like <laughs> fifth dimensional Christmas spirits. What did you just say? peyote trip santa stop it right now okay i swear that's all of it the sleigh is the tardis okay stop stop it right now fifth dimensional santa okay okay back to the story 
<laughs> yeah, they they do indulge, which you know what? More power to them. They 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 get to indulge, and we get great stories. What what better trade off is that? But they also they talk about the strength of color directly in the story like when klaus like reveals himself wearing the captain's garb and he's like let them know that the santa is wearing the red and white for them like baking that into the story of like the white of the snow that brings people joy the red of the blood of the people who have worked so hard for the peace that they see of like the working class yes santa like, is a working class hero he's a working class hero not unlike one superman uh i yeah the visual language here is incredibly strong and again dan mora is just working on another plane He's Dan Mora is working on a fifth dimension personally when he's when he's doing his art and it shows. And like you said, the color palette in the town is incredibly muted, but it always has that pop of color when Klaus is involved. Like whenever you see like a smattering of red, that's usually the cloak he's wearing. And it's like just like him bringing joy, it's him bringing something that this town is sorely lacking, which is, as you mentioned, the color. You know, him deliberately wrapping all of the toys in this rainbowified like, wrapping paper. Each one is so bright and so saturated that you can't help but see them jump off the page. It tells you immediately that he is what this town needs and he is what the town is, you know, yearning for. And not just the town, but also, as we mentioned earlier, the Baroness, the lost love of klaus that he ends up getting to spend the rest of her life with you didn't have to say the rest of her life like that i fully did say the rest of his life fully gulped (laughs) (laughs) i i don't want to misspeak here dallas jeez louise Um, it's your fault for giving me that extra nugget of information about grant's mom it's brutal but so good it's so good I think the last thing that I have to make sure I say, I would be a bad Lord of the Rings fan if I did not. <laughs> I love Krampus as the Balrog that they dug too deep yes. to get to. No question. I was like, yeah, yeah, Dark Fantasy, I see you. <laughs> and and Klaus being the proverbial Gandalf to say, you shall not pass. There are no bad children. I mean, there are no bad children, Eric. It rhymes. The book literally rhymes. It, the it last rhymes. line and the first line, they're the same. It rhymes. <laughs> the narration rhymes. Listen, uh, his name is Dark, Darth Grumbo. He's a very <laughs> mean man. Uh, Klaus's last name is actually Skywalker because he walks among the skies of the town. <laughs> what if we call... What if, what if we called Santa Claus just Klaus? <laughs> like Santa Claus. No, thee. Just Santa Claus. Santa the Klaus? <laughs> this is why I can't bring you on here. Because we, we just evolved into this shit. It rhymes. It rhymes. <laughs> My little tiny whopper hands. <laughs> the little whopper hands. The little, the little uh, Lucas Claus. The little Lucas Klaus. I've got two Klaus right here. <laughs> Just a pair of Klaus at the end of my arms. We just we just broke this whole thing wide open. But uh, yeah, honestly, I think this is 
as perfect of a Christmas comic as you can find. Uh, it embodies the spirit of the season. It embodies all the things that we should take with us, both within and outside of the Christmas season. Just be good to people. Everybody has the capacity to be good. So why not try? You know? Um, any final thoughts on Klaus as a whole and anything else you want to you wanna talk about when it comes to the story? I just kind of want to touch again on how Klaus brings light in this book. The It is not a coincidence that this festival that we are still celebrating today, that we call Christmas now, is set at a very dark time of year. And you can be the proverbial light in someone else's life. Just like Klaus brings light in this book consistently, he brings light to the lives of other people. You can light up whatever situations you're in. You can light up people's lives. Pay attention to the people around you that might be lonely this time of year. Pay attention at at work, at your various gatherings of friends and family. I promise you that there is someone who would appreciate your kindness and your attention. And I think that that's something that's very easy, but equally rewarding to see that Someone's day is brighter because of you. And ultimately, that is the Christmas spirit is for a thousand years. People have been trying to invite light into their life at this very dark time. And we are still carrying that torch forward. So as much as I love gifts, as much as I love presents and giving it to everybody, (laughs) they should only be used as a tool to bring light into other people's life. Yeah, I, I can't follow that i will just say that i absolutely agree with what dallas said and he mentioned it earlier this story itself takes place in a place at a time it could be anywhere the story and variations of it could be anything this could be your story so you have the opportunity choose to make this your story but i I love having you on the show, man. It's it's always great to sit down and chat with you about comics. Um, if our listeners are not familiar, which you should be at this point, uh, can you let them know where to follow up with you if they want to hear more of your musings on the Morrison? Absolutely. I have a weekly comic book podcast called The Comics Collective. We have been taking off the last half of the month of, November, of December, but we will be back right after this, the first week of January. So if you listen to this, Next Wednesday, I am there for you, and we will be talking about something that I haven't decided on yet, but I promise you it's going to be great. Um, I can I can almost guarantee that it will be great. I have some musings about what I want to cover, but I've got to talk to my bosses for sure. Yes, of course. Um, I also, I want to plug, if you have Comixology Unlimited, all of Klaus is available there for free. Yes. So you can go, if you liked what we talked about with this book, you don't have to spend any extra money to read it this holiday season. There are great physical copies of this book around. I love it a lot, but I think it's very neat and fun that Boom Studios, Grant Morrison and Dan Mora have made this available to you this holiday season free of charge. So go check that out and bring some holiday spirit into your day. Absolutely. Uh, And I will do 
as much plugging as I can for uh, Comics Collective as well. They are a trio of wonderful folks who bring that kind of Christmas spirit that we hope for every single week, talking about comics. Uh, it's 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 a wonderful show. Dallas, Ann, and even Lexi are wonderful people. <laughs> no, <laughs> uh, they they're they're wonderful folks. If you would, and I say it every time, but if you if you like what we do here, you will love what they do there. So check them out um, and wait with bated breath for their first uh, 2023 episode because I'm sure it's going to be amazing. But uh, that is going to wrap up this uh, Christmas edition of In December. Uh, thank you so much for listening, and I hope everybody has a very Merry Christmas. Merry Christmas, everybody. Even you, Alexis. Welcome back to this week's Comics Countdown. This is the segment of our show where I'll chat you up about all the comics you should be picking up this week, whether it's at your local comic book shop, a comicsology, or however you pick up your comics. These are the ones I think you should definitely take a look at. No pick of the week of last week because I am recording this a little bit in advance to give myself some time to spend with family and friends, but I will be posting uh, the pick of the week on Twitter at Pod, so make sure you're checking that out if you want to find out which comic I loved from last week. But this week, we've got nine books for you to check out, so let's just go ahead and dive right on into them. Kicking things off with Deceased, War of the Undead Gods, number five. This is written by Tom Taylor with art by Trevor Harrison, and this is as bombastic and gigantic and ridiculous as I figured this series would be, and I'm sure that this next issue is going to be no different. Let's go ahead and dive into the synopsis. A greater chaotic force enters the battle, and in doing so, threatens reality itself. As more heroes fall and whole galaxies are lost, the most powerful forces across the cosmos must, must stop watching from the sidelines and finally act. So it looks like it's going to get even more ridiculous. Uh, the cover here shows the Spectre getting involved, so this is going to be very interesting. Next up, we have Nightwing number 99. This is written by Tom Taylor also, with art by Bruno Redondo, and you know how much I've been shilling for Nightwing. So uh, you know this is going to be one that I'm going to be picking up, and we are one step away from Nightwing number 100, which I believe is going to be dropping next month. Um, this is a big deal. This is a big deal. It's been a while since Nightwing has gotten up to 100 issues, so uh, I'm very excited about this. We are very quickly approaching uh, what I'm assuming is going to be the end game with Heartless. So let's go ahead and dive into the synopsis and see what issue 99 is all about. With Blockbuster off the table, the crime families all head to Bloodhaven in an attempt to claim the city as their own, including Tony Zuko himself. This should be easy, right? Since his quote-unquote daughter, Melinda Zuko, is currently the mayor and definitely not secretly working with Nightwing to take down crime bosses. Yeah, so we're getting another Tony Zuko story. Uh, I always love when he gets introduced into any Dick Grayson story because I feel like it immediately kind of ups the urgency and the intensity. Uh, this book has been really really fun uh absolutely one of my favorite books of the year and i am very excited to see where they go now that blockbuster has been kind of moved off the table 
Next up, we have The Flash, number 789. This is written by Jeremy Adams with art by Fernando Pazarin. Uh, once again, I met Jeremy Adams at uh, Comic-Con, at LA Comic-Con a couple weekends ago, and he was delightful. So I have been, uh, and I've been really enjoying the book too. I love Wally West. I love the family dynamics this book is bringing forward. And we are on the march towards one minute war in the new year. So this is going to be very, very exciting. Let's go ahead and dive into the synopsis. Old friends return as Wally finds out he's on the wrong side of the law and a fugitive from justice. Wally must uncover the truth about the mayor, all while trying to outrun the rogues who are attempting to track him down. Yes, and that's another thing that I'm really excited about too. This arc has basically Wally as a fugitive with the rogues as deputized vigilantes. So I, I think this is cool. It's a fun story that I'm sure we've had at some point before, but... I really do like this aspect, and I like the story they're telling here, so I'm excited to pick this up. Next up, we have Batman vs. Robin number 4. This is written by Mark Wade with art by Mahmoud Azrar. Um, I believe there's only one or two more issues of this. This might be the last one. I don't know. I, I want to say it was five issues, but who knows at this point. Uh, this is a... Uh, I mean, it's all out war, right? We are... We have gotten to the point where Batman and Robin are in the same place. Uh, Damien has shed his Robin identity to become this new... He's taken on the uh, Batman 666 costume that he was fated to always uh, eventually don. So I'm excited to see what happens here. Let's go ahead and dive into the synopsis. As the final battle erupts between Batman and Robin at the heart of Lazarus Island, a strange tremor rocks the combatants to their senses. This isn't an island at all. It's a volcano. With the devil Neja pulling the strings and unbelievable transformative power about to explode out into the world, our heroes have no choice but to do the unthinkable. Fall back. A battle between father and son goes global as the Earth enters into the Lazarus planet. So that's interesting. I kind, I guess I wrongly assumed that the Lazarus planet was going to be a separate place. Uh, but I guess they're turning Earth into the Lazarus planet. We'll see. I, I'm very curious to see what happens here. This should be very interesting. Next up, we have Strange number 9. This is written by Jed McKay with art by Marcella Ferreira. Let me just say, right out the gate... I am a little bummed because uh, it was announced this past week as of this recording that uh, Stephen Strange is going to be taking up the mantle again, I believe, in either uh, January or February. Obviously, uh, it's retaining the same creative team. Jed McKay is still helming uh, Doctor Strange, and I love his voice for this corner the magical corner of the Marvel Universe. But I am a little bummed because we we... I don't know. I've I've really been enjoying Clea as the Sorcerer Supreme. I like the story they're telling with Steven being the uh, Sorcerer Supreme of the dead. But I I don't know. It feels unnecessary. And I don't know why we can have, you know, two Spider-Man books and not two Strange books. I don't know. Just me. But I do have faith in the creative team. I am just sad that Clea is going to be not given the spotlight anymore. But who knows? Who knows? We will. We haven't read the book yet. We'll have to see what they do with it. But for Strange number nine, we got to enjoy the ride while we've still got it. Let's go ahead and dive into the synopsis. Stephen Strange is alive. Well, uh, kind of. Clea is finally reunited with her husband, Stephen, but it's a bittersweet reunion as the Blasphemy Cartel unleash their deadliest weapon yet. What is it? More like, 
who is it? Yeah, I liked the reveal in Strange Number 8 about the Blasphemy Cartel. Uh, I I love the idea of a militarized, you know, secret agency weaponizing magic. So I'm, I'm very into this, and I'm excited to find out what the secret weapon is for the Blasphemy Cartel. Next up, we have Batman Superman World's Finest Number 10. This is written by Mark Wade with art by Dan Mora. I love this book. This is... Maybe my favorite DC comic book this year. I will have to uh, consult the list because we are going to be doing a year-end episode, uh, wrapping up all my favorite stuff from this year. But this, I mean, this book's incredible. The art is gorgeous. I mean, Dan Mora was a large part of our discussion in the main part of this week's episode. So you know how much I love Dan Moore at this point. I love this book. Let's go ahead and dive into the synopsis. And also I love Mark Wade, of course. You know I'm a basic bitch for Mark Wade. Strange Visitor, Chapter 4, Keys to the Kingdom. The deadly duo of Joker and the Key have twisted the increasingly powerful Boy Thunder into a walking time bomb of destructive power. Batman and Superman's quest to guide young David toward the light takes an unexpected turn when the Teen Titans learn of the dark secret he's been hiding from the world's finest. The Titans issue their ultimatum. Tell Superman and Batman, or they will. Yeah, I... I don't know, man. I'm I'm really, really intrigued with this Boy Thunder mystery because we do know, they've already said in previous synopses that he is somebody that we know. We know this person in the modern day um, DC universe. So they are slowly pulling back the layers to reveal who this character is. So I'm in it for the ride. I'm very excited to see uh, what new revelations we might get out of this. Next up, we have X-Men Annual Number 1. This is written by Steve Fox with art by Andre DeVito. And uh, this looks like we're going to be getting a Firestar issue if the uh, if the cover is anything to go by, which I'm I'm glad about. We are a fair amount into the uh, second era of the Jerry Duggan uh, X-Men run, and I don't feel like Firestar has really been given any kind of spotlight, right? Um I'm I'm excited to get more of her, especially because she was not who everyone wanted to be on the team. <laughs> I mean, obviously she uh, she won the fan vote, but come on, she's a cop. Come on, uh, let's go ahead and dive into the synopsis. The newest X-Man burns up the spotlight. In a surprising turn of events, Firestar, who had not yet fully embraced Kokoa, was elected to the X-Men at the Hellfire Gala. Her history with her mutant nature is a tumultuous one for many reasons, but her record as a hero is exemplary. Can she wrestle with her past in time to rise to the occasion thrust upon her? Are we going to see more of the horse? That is my question which will hopefully be answered in this annual. Uh, but yeah, I'm glad we're getting more of a spotlight on Firestar because she was, I think, the most controversial pick on the uh, on the roster of uh, X-Men Vote, which is hilarious because we also had uh, a misogynist, a Nazi, and just a, a, a group of people who were from all walks of life, let's say. But I'm excited to have more Firestar. Let's go ahead and uh, steamroll ahead because I think the, the X-Men need to gain another bit of focus as focused as the first uh, the first 
year was. But finally, the big book of the week, the book I think you should absolutely be picking up is Dark Crisis on Infinite Earths number seven. This is written by Joshua Williamson with art by Daniel Sampier. And I believe this is it. I believe this is the conclusion. Yes. According to the cover, this is seven of seven. And this is going to kickstart the dawn of DC or the dawn of the DCU. Uh, If you haven't yet, go back a little ways in the archives to just before in December kicked off. Uh, Malcolm Russell Nelson and I, who is uh, one of my co-hosts on the Geek Explained Book Club, went through and pitched our own line of dawn of DC comics. So check that out if you're interested. But this is going to be the next step into whatever 2023 is going to hold for the DC universe. So let's go ahead and dive into the synopsis. The great darkness is defeated, but the final war was only just begun between the remaining heroes and Deathstroke's dark army. Who will be left standing? The Justice League and the Infinite Earths have returned, but at what cost? Do not miss the shocking conclusion that launches the DCU into 2023. So yeah, pretty much tells you everything I just said. Uh, this is going to be the conclusion of this story and the um, the launch pad into what we are doing next, which is, I guess, Lazarus Planet. Um, as it goes, I think Dark Crisis had, you know... It was set up to be something that I don't think it quite achieved. I think that Dark Crisis, uh, as a story when it was pitched, was like, all your Justice League characters are gone. This is going to be about legacy characters. And yet the story kind of turned into, all right, the legacy characters can't get it done. We need the Justice League back. So I am a little disappointed, even though everyone's like, no, really, the Justice League died. But... I think as a whole, uh, setting up, especially with this cover, setting up Nightwing to be, like, the new guy going forward, I'm always down for that. So I'm curious to see how they stick the landing, and uh, I'll be looking forward to seeing what they've got in store for the next year. But this uh, wraps up this week's Comics Countdown. To recap, we've got Deceased, War of the Undead Gods, number 5, Nightwing, number 99, The Flash, number 789, Batman vs. Robin, number 4, Strange, number 9, Batman Superman World's Finest number 10, X-Men Annual number 1, and Dark Crisis on Infinite Earths number 7. We've got a couple repeat creators on this list, which is always kind of fun. So make sure you make a repeat habit of going and picking up your comics this week. And that is going to bring us to the wrap-up. If this is your first time joining us on the Geek Explained podcast and you like what I do here, feel free to subscribe to us on the podcasting platform of your choice and give us a rating and review. We drop new episodes every single Wednesday, and honestly, ratings, reviews, and subscriptions really do help me and the podcast out in this weird podcasting algorithm space, raises up our stock, and gets us out and into the orbit of listeners just like you. And if you give us a five-star rating and review on iTunes, Apple Podcasts, whatever you want to call it, I will read your review here live on the podcast you can write literally whatever you want i will be forced to read every single word as long as you give me those five stars the sky's the limit on what you can write and you'll be able to join the likes of our red 13 including seafire nd joshua panels to pixels matt draper burrito man 88 duck from for every kind of geek don swanson that guy brian mouth dork dallas meeks amazing spider fan a lock and az sass and jedi jesse 20 i want to say a huge thank you to these fine folks for their reviews and i cannot wait to hear yours send me some reviews i want to finish out 2022 by reading at least one review uh 
make my Christmas wish come true. Send me a review to read. I would love that dearly. Uh, if you want to be part of our Geek Explained mailbag, send emails to geeksplained at gmail.com. Put mailbag in the subject header, and I will read it here on the Wednesday show. If you want to keep up to date with us, uh, participate in polls that decide future episodes, or maybe you just want to shoot the shit with me on the latest geeky news, feel free to follow us on Instagram and Twitter at GeekSplainedPod. That's at GeekSplainedPod. Uh, for as long as Twitter's around, we'll see. Um, it would be kind of cool. Um, looking at Twitter right now. We are uh, just shy of 400 followers. Would be kind of cool. Would be cool if we hit 400 by the end of 2022. We'll see if that happens. But uh, I am genuinely thankful for everyone who is uh, currently following us. It does help uh, to give us exposure, to help us with, you know, the algorithm and whatnot, just to get us seen in uh in that kind of space so everyone who does follow thank you so much and if you haven't followed yet give us a follow would appreciate it uh also every single friday including this one i alongside my amazing friends malcolm russell nelson and jacob brown put on the geek explained book club where currently we are going through every single issue of every single volume of Brian Michael Bendis's Ultimate Spider-Man. Last week, we dove into a brave new world as Miles Morales uh, entered the 616 after the collapse of his former universe, and it was a doozy to, <laughs> to adjust. And this week, we are continuing on with that train as we continue on with the Bendis and Pacelli-led Spider-Man series from 2016. So uh, if you enjoy Spider-Man, if you enjoy Miles Morales, make sure you dive into that because uh, Spidey Fridays are a real thing. So be there or be square, not a circle. I want to say a huge thank you once again to Dallas for coming on the show show especially to talk about a comic that we both absolutely adore uh dallas is one of my uh one of my good friends and is an absolute authority on all things grant morrison so it felt correct to bring him in uh go subscribe to the comics collective podcast they're wonderful uh he alongside lexi and Anne, are wonderful wonderful folks so go ahead and check them out i will put a link to their podcast in the show notes here uh, and next week, next week we round out not just the inaugural in December, but also 2022. I feel like this year blew by, but it has been a wonderful year, and we are going to send off the first ever in December the right way by discussing one of my favorite comics of the last few years, The Good Asian, a detective noir tale centered around Edison Hark as he tries to solve a mystery that strikes at the heart of not just his experience as an Asian American, but at the heart of the community that he services as well. Uh, I have loved this comic. I've gushed about it several times on the podcast, so I'm very excited to chat about this with my guest next week, and I am still over the moon to be able to say this. We're going to be discussing the comic with the writer of the comic porn sock pichette show uh it i it doesn't get any better than this i'm very excited to uh chat with porn sock about this and to chat with him and share that conversation with you all uh we'll be talking about not just the comic but also his newest comic which will be coming out uh when that next episode drops sandman universe presents the dead boy detectives so uh yeah i'm very excited about this i have been uh really 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 excited to share this news um if you follow us on the socials you already know that he was uh, penciled in for this but 
it's just cool to be able to have this conversation with him. So uh, tune in for that next week. Same geek time, same geek channel as we round out in December with The Good Asian featuring its writer, Pornsuck Pichetchot. Uh, but that is going to do it for this week's episode. Thank you so much for the uh, really kind response to In December. It's been a blast putting this together, and this is going to be the first of what will hopefully be an an annual tradition, we'll say. But that is going to do it for me here. Uh, I hope everyone has a very Merry Christmas. And for the Geek Explained podcast, I have been Eric Azana. Thank you so much for listening. Stay safe. Happy holidays. And we will see you next time. Happy